Hi, and welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and uh, well, mostly we're going to talk about things that you read, because I didn't read much for these two weeks. But we're going to start with you, so tell us what you have been reading. Well, I am pleased to say I finally finished, it wasn't the first time I read it, but my ongoing presidential quest had bogged down for a good deal of time in Doris Kearns Goodwin's excellent book, The Bully Pulpit, Theodore Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, and the Golden Age of Journalism. Um, I, again, I read it before. It's so good. Just it's, her writing is so good. It is. If I had a criticism of this, and this is a very half-hearted criticism, the Roosevelt stuff and the Taft stuff is fascinating, and the journalism stuff is interesting, but I do feel at times almost like we're throwing a little much at the wall. I mean, it's 750 pages without the notes. The journalism stuff is interesting, but it feels a little bit extraneous, maybe because I'm reading about the presidents and I'm thinking so much about them. But where was she going to put it? That's interesting information, and it goes well, along with this topic. And it's very germane to Roosevelt, less so to Taft. There's less to talk about. I mean, the crisis of Taft's presidency isn't a crisis at all. It's that he's not Roosevelt. He comes after this incredible dynamic guy who a large part of Roosevelt's success, surprise, surprise, involved cozying up to journalists and being able to make friends with people who would use this newfangled, soon-to-be-termed yellow journalism to write these big expose pieces and get things moving in public opinion. I mean, the presidents in the last, what, post-Lincoln era, I guess, who have been successful, all were masters of communication. Roosevelt mastered that. Franklin Roosevelt mastered mm-hmm. radio with the, the fireside chats. Kennedy mastered television to some extent with the debates. And then Reagan definitely you know, followed up on that, right. uh, which does make all of the Twitter slash X and truth social stuff, I guess, a little more intriguing to try to place in context because, I mean, this stuff matters. We like to think it's just silly, but obviously it's not. No, it's it's not silly at all. It is very, very important, and it does seem like kind of a good way to show the contrast, another contrast between these two presidents and a very important issue of their time. Yeah, and, and Roosevelt was a dynamo and Taft wasn't, and... The other thing about Taft is Taft never wanted to be president. Mrs. Taft wanted him to be president. Taft wanted in his heart of hearts to be the chief justice of the Supreme Court. And the irony is that Roosevelt tried to appoint him twice. And he turned it down because he was in the middle of work that he didn't feel like he could leave at that point. Uh, But after all of this, Taft ultimately does get to become Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, a job he holds for, I think, nine or ten years. Yeah, dreams Um, come true. It's wonderful. It does. But, of course, the sad part of the book is Roosevelt and Taft are just thick as thieves. They're their best buddies until 1912 when they're not, when Roosevelt returns from self-imposed exile to decide, you know, I think I will run for another term after all. Um, And they... But heads furiously, but I, I love the epilogue of this book because years later, it's 19, 18 or 19, they meet up again, and there have been some time for some things to thaw, uh, but they happen to be staying in the same hotel, and Taft approaches him, and Roosevelt's glad to see him, and they sit down and they have a meal together, and they're friendly again. And six months later, Roosevelt dies. Um, so, 
you know, the, that whole arc is just fascinating. It's fascinating uh, because these are two presidents. It's fascinating because these were good friends who suddenly couldn't stand each other and got one more chance to get it right. John Adams Jefferson echoes here. Yeah, there really is that, uh, except that Adams and Jefferson, the, the last act went on for years and years. But, you know, Taft and Roosevelt may be a better case as to why you do it. Uh, there's a story that after Roosevelt's funeral, Taft talked to his sister and said, I'm so glad we were friends again at the end. I would have been so sad had that not happened. Um, but it does, and William Howard Taft uh, is not only one of my favorite presidents, incidentally, he and I happen to share a birthday. I, I want to <laughs> give Bill some props on that. But I have actually picked out a book to read next, uh, which I'm going to give a little bit of forward hype here, which is called Taft 2012, which is a novel based on the premise that somehow, mystically, we'll see William Howard Taft reappears in 2012 and everybody loves him. He's if the perfect you, candidate. If you are going to start reading novels about the president, then we need to pick up that mystery series or like detective series about Obama and Biden. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who's to say I won't? It'll be a while before I get there. That much I can promise you. But I, I love the book. I love Ker Doris Kearns Goodwin stuff. Any of it's great. Uh, on to the fictional Taft, and I do have my Woodrow Wilson biography ready to go. Uh, my other read was a little bit less serious, uh, not shockingly, but uh, a lot of fun. Just kind of stumbled onto this one. But it is called Freezing Cold Takes, Football Media's Most Inaccurate Predictions and the Fascinating Stories Behind Them by Fred Siegel. Um, you know, it's in my wheelhouse here. We're talking about times when... People had controversial things that they put in print and they ended up looking like idiots. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of some of these. One of them was somebody said, the 49ers should get rid of Steve Young. He's never going to be any good. And, of course, Steve Young won him a Super Bowl and is a Hall of Fame quarterback, things like that. Uh, I will say Seagal does a good job of kind of going back to the context and saying, well, they said this and they ended up being totally wrong, but... You know, here's some mitigating evidence, or what we didn't know was that, or, you know, even though we all go, oh, that was a dumb thing, well, they didn't win the Super Bowl with this guy who were all saying, well, they should have never gotten rid of him, well, maybe they should have gotten rid of him, so. Who can say? It was a fun book from that standpoint. Ryan listened to some of it with me. He enjoyed some of the guys he was uh, familiar with and the ridiculous things that people had said, and plus I'm always a fan of calling out dumb takes from the like Skip Baylesses of the world and the people who are basically professional dumb take givers. Yes, yes, you are. Yeah. So that's me. All right. Well, let's fill you in on what I have been reading. The first one that I finished over these last two weeks is The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. I feel like that I am jumping on the bandwagon with this one really late. These books have been out for a number of years. I started hearing about them a whole lot during the pandemic, so I suspect that's when this one came out. Um, but there are, it's a whole series now. I'm going to say maybe the fourth or fifth one has just come out. The premise behind it is that it is essentially a group of people in a retirement community who are meeting together on Thursday nights, calling themselves the Thursday Murder Club because they are taking out the files from old cases. One of their number had been a police detective, I think. So they're pulling out basically unsolved mysteries and going over all the information that's available in them and then 
solving the cases. I'm putting that in quotation marks because, of course, they're just <laughs> random people in a retirement community. But really, they're not all just random people. Of course they're not. <laughs> you see kind of over the course of the book. But essentially, as they are meeting and looking at these old murder notes, they have a couple of new murders to solve right there in their community. Like, absolutely, people they knew, and they are using all of their skills as amateur murder solvers to bring this case together. And it was just a really fun read. Um, some really kind of profound things about the way that we treat the elderly in there and the way that um, they themselves might look at aging. Yeah. But really just a fun... I don't know, you can say murder is lighthearted. I don't know. It was a fun, lighthearted, mystery-solving I mean, kind of yeah, thing. Sure. And, and it's British, so, you of know. Of course it is. There you go. All right, then the next one that I read was Limelight by Amy Papel, and that is the last Amy Papel book that has been written that I have finished. I love Amy Papel so much. I've talked about her so much. I read uh, Small Admissions. I read Limelight, or I sorry, I read uh, Musical Chairs. Um, my favorite is The Sweet Spots. I've talked about all those on here. This one I'm going to say is my least favorite. It is still a very good book. It's still one of those books that's so well written that you pick it up and you just know you're in safe hands. It's a really mm -hmm. good book that way. But Limelight, the title alone, lets you know that you're looking at kind of some kind of actor-celebrity kind of thing. And this is a child singer who has gotten a huge Broadway play that he's going to be a part of and I am um, he's way too spoiled way too dramatic way too celebrity and I I don't do so well with the books about poor little rich people you don't like when I I'm just... a spoiled dramatic celebrity I, <laughs> I do not no. I can't I can't do the spoiled drama from I don't think I've ever done that <laughs> I'm just not into it and the way the other main character in the story just bent over backwards because he's just a kid well he got to shape himself up. I just couldn't take it. Type A, yes. <clears throat> but it is a really well-written book, and if you do like Amy Papel, I would recommend you read it. I think it was her first book. It's always a little bit liberating when you get somebody who you've been a big fan of their catalog, and there's something you've shied away from, and you're like, no, maybe the critics are wrong. Maybe it's great, too. And it's like, well, not as <laughs> yeah, much. Lots of people like this one. And I oh, actually... I mean, horses for courses, yeah. whatever, yeah. I actually read about half of it, and I thought, oh, it's just the, the topic is not for me. The writing is yeah. great. But I didn't want to get rid of it because I love her so much. And so I just left the bookmark in it. I put it up for a couple of months, and then I pulled it back out, and I felt refreshed and ready to go. Um, and I, I, I think that that weight was good for me. So. Oh, I try that sometimes, but that bully pulpit, I think I might have been in the Taft <laughs> administration when I started it. I don't well, know. this one was not 700 whatever pages. Yeah, 750 pages, pages, right. Then I read A Cross-Country Wedding by Courtney Walsh. Courtney Walsh, I am trying to um, knock out some Kindle Unlimited things before I cancel my subscription. <laughs> That's what this one was. I'm surprised you're going to cancel your subscription. That's the story here. You buried the lead. But. I've read several of these books, of her books, and they're just sweet um, closed-door romance, nice little stories. My favorite has been the Isadora Bentley one that I talked about recently, the woman who found a magazine that listed like 31 ways to be happy and decides to prove them all wrong. Um, oh, yeah, I remember that. She's just a really fun author, and it's nice escape readings. And most of her books are Kindle Unlimited, if you have that. So, Then I read I Kill the Mockingbird by Paul Akampora. I think I'm saying that name right. It's a great title. I know that. Okay, this one was really fun. I think it would be classified as middle grades, really. 
it is centers around some kids who are about 14 years old and they're about to start high school and they are full of the fears of high school and all that stuff. They're also um, struggling with other things. The main character, the point of view main character, her mom has had cancer and is just kind of getting the all clear to go into remission. She is still terrified for her mom, obviously. And there are some really poignant, really important parts in it where her mom pulls her aside and has some conversations about dying and what it means to have cancer, what it means to have a full life. It was just a really sweet book, really important book, I think, in a lot of those ways. But the real thing that the book is about is these students have received summer reading assignments before they come back to high school in the fall. They have a variety of classic literature that they can choose from, and she and her two best friends uh, each have their own favorites. Hers is To Kill a Mockingbird, and she wants everybody to read To Kill a Mockingbird. She's read it many times, partly because of one of her favorite middle school teachers for whom this was also his favorite book, and this man has passed away. And in his memory, she thinks that everybody should read To Kill a Mockingbird, but how are you going to make people want to read this book? She and her friends concoct this plan. They call themselves literary terrorists. They make a website. They make some social media. They go around and they hide from the libraries and the bookstores the copies of To Kill a Mockingbird, make the thing seem scarce. That would be a lot of work. To make people want to read this. They expect it to just be a kind of a local joke kind of thing but to their surprise the website catches on people in other states are doing this it's like it's a hashtag it's trending it's everywhere and then they start to realize that you can start something but you can't finish it always and while they have been hiding books other people are stealing them and how can they wrap this all up in a way that actually does bring honor to their teacher and put attention back on this book that she feels is so powerful so it's a really interesting book about books and about the power of literature, and about how it's not always so much about us reading a book that we carry the banner out for the world, but we're carrying the banner out for other people and for what they have loved, too. Interesting. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. My last two were rereads. I guess I haven't learned that yet by Shauna Nequist. Reread this one slowly, just a couple of essays a day, trying to just soak in some of these words that were things that I really needed right now. And then the last one was The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary, which I read years ago when it first came out. Um, but then it was on a Kindle daily deal or monthly deal or something, and I bought it and read it again. Um, and it was just as good as I remembered it. Flat Share centers around two young London people. Um, one of them owns a flat in London, but he needs money because he is trying to pay legal bills for his brother who has been imprisoned unfairly. The other has just broken up with her boyfriend and been kicked out of her own flat, makes almost no money as a literary editor for craft books. And Ooh. yeah, so they uh, strike, they've never met each other, but they uh, come to this agreement to where they will share the flat at opposite times. He's a hospice nurse, so he'll have the flat during the daytime when she's at work and he's asleep, and then she'll have it at night. And the plan is that they will never meet. But of course they do. And this is now a series, I think, on um, Paramount Plus, maybe. I would really like to watch it and see if it's as good. Another streaming service. Wow. <laughs> so we'll cancel the, the Kindle thing, but get another streaming service. Yeah, you, know, you do what you have to do. Oh. And that's everything that I have been reading. And that brings us to our shared read, which is called Game On, Video Game History, 
From Pong and Pac-Man to Mario, Minecraft, and more. And it's written by Dustin Hansen. So Joe and I came across this book when our daughter, Natalie, introduced it to us. And so Natalie is on here today to talk about this book with us. Hey. Um, Natalie, why don't you tell us a little bit from the beginning about what this book is about and why you liked it. Um, the title is fairly self-explanatory. It is about the history of video games. Um... Yeah, and it takes them one yeah. by one, right? Yeah, it goes from Pong to what was then recent. It was written in 2016, but it goes through some of the earliest video games to uh, the present day and talks about uh, how video games build on each other. Well, and how they build on each other is a good way to put it because... I never really thought of this as a comprehensive thing because of all the changes in platforms. Uh, you know, you can talk about Nintendo games, but then what about Sega Genesis games? Or what about computer games? And what about, you know, so one of the things that I thought was cool was the way he did, you know, seamlessly tell this story across platforms. It's not just like, well, here are some great Nintendo games. It's, it's a, a comprehensive history, really. Yeah, he put it together like puzzle pieces, really, and made me see it in a way that I was completely unaware of, although you and I grew up with a lot of the things that he talked about. Natalie, for you, it was all brand new. Yeah. Right, but for you and I, we grew up with all these things, and I never put it together. Um, it was more like, oh, who has a Sega Genesis, and who has a Nintendo, and right. who can we go to their house and play, but we didn't see how they were all building on and influencing each other. Right, and... You know, it's funny because for her, I mean, some of these old games we knew about, she only knows about them kind of secondhand. But we uh, went online and tracked down on the Internet Archive one of the early... Do you remember what game it was? It was a Zork. It's this... Uh, it's a fantasy story game. Um, there is no graphics. It's just text, and you type in stuff to respond to the computer yes i remember when we found it and you started playing it it was one of the funniest things ever because what are some of the quirky things about it well you can type in whatever you want to so you could just follow like the typical storyline like you're supposed to or you can start typing in like i don't know smell the lurking Gru or whatever and the <laughs> Gru is a monster just for the record but and then it will give you back ridiculous responses yep Unless it doesn't know what you're talking about, but that only happens some of the time. <laughs> but just the way that it showed how those early games really paved the way for some of the games that have been the most popular and the most creative today, this book really also emphasized the storytelling aspect of pretty much every single game and how the music and the characters and even if it was the most basic storyline ever, all really built together into this wonderful thing. And I'm going to admit that although I played a lot of video games, I never really thought a lot about the soundtrack and how it affected things. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll hear the... Oh, Natalie's insulted with me because she's way into the music stuff with it. But um, I'll, I'll hear music from a Mario game that I used to play and realize, oh, that song's so familiar to me, but I never put those pieces together. And I like the way that he... Dustin Hanson, the author of this book, was able to put all those pieces together, show the progression chronologically, and um, really, in clear and engaging language, show what a work of art each game individually was, even while they're fitting together into something bigger. Well, and yeah. origin stories are fun. I mean, you, you wonder where Donkey Kong came from 
what were what were the other names? They, they, they that <laughs> name didn't come out of thin air. They were working from a, a concept to get to it. Yeah, they wanted like something that seemed American, and donkey was like slang for silly, and Kong meant monkey. So right. basically, silly ape, according to the book. But. Yeah, but about like where the Mario Brothers came from, um, you know, Tetris, Tetris, you could. I mean, somebody's done a movie about it now, apparently. So many of these things, even if I remember the game, I had no idea the backstory. And, and uh, Dustin Hansen does a great job of, of, like, getting inside of it, you know, giving you the, the story behind the story, really. Yeah. All, all three of us have experienced video games in such different ways. Why don't we take a second and just say... What are, like, maybe one of our very best memories of playing video games? Who wants to go first? Natalie. <laughs> Natalie's not going first. Okay, well. All right, I'll go first. You guys can think yeah, while I'm talking. Sure. Um, for me, probably one of my very best memories of playing video games, besides, you know, of course, with my kids or whatever, would be when we first got our Nintendo system and my dad set it up for my sister and me on this old black and white TV in our room. Which sounds so weird to me. <laughs> I mean, the like, outlandish graphics is half the point. I know, but we, like, Christy and I had never had a TV in our room before, but we had to have one for the Nintendo, and my mom did not want the Nintendo on her TV downstairs. Oh, yeah. So it was relegated to our room, and my dad pulled this black and white TV out of, like, a closet or something. And he hooked it up for us, and then he said, what even is this? And so... Christy and I sat down and proceeded to teach him about Mario. Like, we played Duck Hunt. We showed him that first Mario Brothers game. And he seemed vaguely intrigued. And we all stayed up late kind of going through it. And then Christy and I were tired and we went to bed. And he said he was going to finish up the level he was on before he went to bed. And when we woke up the next morning, he was still playing. He had played all <laughs> night long. And that just was a really cool experience for the three of us. Video games got Christy and me out of all kinds of chores. This may be why my mom never really liked video games, because every time she would call for one of us to do the dishes, my dad would be like, we're playing a game. <laughs> we, we didn't have to do all that stuff. So we played together constantly, and my dad loved it as much as we did. And so that's my favorite. You know, for me, I mean, this, this stuff uh, comes in so many forms. It could be playing the Oregon Trail at my school and... Uh, ostensibly being the kid who would go through and delete the hateful comments about the wagon loads of teachers that the Oregon Trail players had killed off when, in <laughs> fact, I was the one who put the things on there. Oh, my gosh. It could be beating Mike Tyson Punch-Out, uh, any of the old-school games that you got passed on the uh, Nintendo. You were doing some heavy lifting. But, yeah, you know, I like the, the way that the story goes through to the modern era. I'd never really thought about like the Wii. You know, we have a Wii. I'd never considered the Wii and the 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 way that it kind of demythologized video games because anybody can you know swing a, a little joystick around and hit a tennis ball or bowl a bowling ball or whatever it was you were doing with it. So well, I think the Wii is actually how you first got Natalie to start kind of liking video games because she had that like little. It was that game that was a mashup of all the little cartoons, Dora yeah, the Explorer. like the Nickelodeon stuff. Yes. We, uh, yeah, on occasion we would play that one, and you had a mm -hmm. bunch of like sporty things and you had I, to run and yeah, you had the relay race. And, I'm like you yeah. would be you would be this tiny, tiny little kid, like three years old, maybe <laughs> hopping up and yeah. down on top of the Wii board playing the thing. 
All right, yeah. What about you, Natalie? What's your favorite? Uh, not sure about a favorite. I've got a lot of memories I really enjoyed, but um, just one I really liked. Uh, a few years back, I got the game Super Mario Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's fairly new. It's for the Switch, but. I don't know, I really like the 3D open world design, particularly uh-huh. if it has a really great soundtrack like Odyssey did. Uh-huh. But I played through that one, and I liked it pretty well, but I beat the game and didn't really have... I don't know, I ran out of stuff that I could do without being a master of the game, and it sat around for a while, and then my brother started playing it, and he... <laughs> He doesn't do the, like, playing through the entire storyline thing like I do. He tends to just roam around one of the worlds and... Causes mayhem. Yeah, jump off of buildings, um, bounce around on cars. Where he just, like, squats down and waddles around everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, he will do as many ridiculous things as he can. And (laughs) I know it's just really cool that this... Same game, the two of us can be playing it in such different ways and at different That's times, really cool. and we can both see that the game like is for us. That is that... a really cool point, Natalie. I love that. So it's a fun read for anybody. If you remember the old games and want to get the, the backstory of some of them, awesome. If you don't, then it's a good way to get introduced to them. I will say you noted earlier he wrote it in 2016. Yeah. So I tweeted him and said... If you did it now, what would you add? And if you're curious, his answer was, after he noted that there were so many, Undertale, Fortnite, Dark Souls, maybe the debacle and recovery of Cyberpunk Red Dead 2. I know vaguely what Fortnite is, but that's about the extent of my answer. Uh, But uh, I know you were a little sad because in 2016 it really cut off before the Animal Crossing phenomenon truly took hold, and that's one of yours. Yeah, that was around before. Four, but like when COVID happened, Animal Crossing New Horizons got huge. There's we played yeah. a ton of Animal Crossing. You and I did. Your dad built a house and never did anything with it. It's overrun by cockroaches. <laughs> but, Sounds about right. But we had a lot of fun with that game. Yeah, one one thing I love about our Switch is that it will track like how much time you've spent on the game. I think I've spent over three hundred hours playing Animal <laughs> Crossing awesome. New Horizons. And roughly one percent of how long I spent but spent playing the various NBA two K. <laughs> there were multiple yeah. New Year's Eves that you and I were watching the ball drop on TV, but also watching the Animal Crossing. <laughs> celebration because there yeah. were like fireworks and free things coming and all kinds of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've still got video of 2021 and 2022 <laughs> starting and Man. Animal Crossing. So I now, guess like, bottom line with, with this was just that it was so fun wherever you came at it from. There was something here for everybody and a good chance to kind of round out whatever knowledge you were missing. Yeah, and again, the language is just so fun and accessible. I laughed out loud multiple times reading this book. That's a book. funny book, yeah. Um, it, it's just, even if you are somebody who never played a video game, you've lived in this world. You've heard of these things. And it might be a nice little pop culture education for you. Yeah, very much so. You know, six thumbs up here for Game On. What's the subtitle again? I don't have the book. Uh, video here. Game History from Pong and Pac-Man to Mario, Minecraft, and more. By Dustin Hansen. And he did say, maybe it's time for another edition. Dustin Hansen, I think it is. I it think is it's so time. Such a cool book uh, and in such a quick, easy read that uh, we do need more. Listen, Natalie went to so much trouble to track this one down. We would definitely be getting the next one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, 
It took a while. Our library took its very sweet time getting the book, and when <laughs> I tried to search for it on Hoopla, I discovered that there is a ridiculous amount of, amount of romance novels out there, all of which are titled <laughs> Game On. But it is on Hoopla, which was how I read it, so yeah. yeah. I, I sorted through 400 romance novels called Game On. <laughs> Finally tracked it down at a Barnes & Noble in Missouri. Because <laughs> we were there. And... Uh, and our summer reading was changed. So thank you, Natalie, for introducing us to this book. No problem. Well, fair enough. Um, we've got another uh, adventurous one planned here. Uh, maybe not quite as adventurous as Game On, but uh, looking Listen, forward to it nonetheless. It is going to be just as good. Our next read is going to be Tom Lake by Ann Patchett, which I talked about last time. I loved the whole... Our Town, um, yeah. Play Within the Store. Oh, it's so good. But you haven't read it yet. No. So I'm going to go pick it up at the library for you this week. i got to confess that every time you say it, I think that Tom Lake is the guy. So in my mind, sometimes it's Ann Patchett by Tom Lake. But... Well, I can see the mix-up. I feel like this has a fairly high bar in your eyes because you loved Belcanto so much. I did. And, uh, you know, have a lot of uh, regard for Our Town. Well, and Belcanto and Tom Lake are going to be very, very different. Tom well, Lake yeah. is much more like our town. It's a much more quiet story. There are going to be no terrorists, no Stockholm Syndrome. Let's so. hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but we're really looking forward to Joe reading it and then us being able to talk about it with all of you. Thank you for listening in today. If you have any video game memories that you want to share with us, we would love to hear them. You can get in touch with us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Twitter at pbackreaderspod, or on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod. And definitely, if you have already read Tom Lake or if you want to read it with us, do that and let us know what you think. Until next time, use the cheat code for the free lives and keep <laughs> reading.